0: you Happy Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of tvdads.com.
1: And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum.
0: And gosh, we're going over all the bad news that a public affairs office (laughs) should not be talking about in public, but you know, this is all off the... Uh, off the uh, off the record, and just you know, filling in everything that can go go wrong. Um, the thing that bothers me with this is, shouldn't if somebody's covering Apollo thirteen, shouldn't they know what's what's going on? I just I, I think it's people <laughs> like Cronkite and and Jules Bergman and you know all these guys they train they actually went on training uh, sessions with the astronauts, so they 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 know everything that's going on. I don't think they could fill it in, but of course we do need the exposition for. Uh, People who, you know, weren't even born yet when this uh, when this was all going on. <laughs> you know, I missed,
1: uh, I missed that generation of newscasters like Cronkite or uh, who was, uh, geez, who was later on here?
0: Uh, uh, well, we had Jules, Jules Bergman. And, and uh, who
1: took on over after Cronkite?
0: Cronkite would be Dan Rather. Dan Rather. I mean, yeah. like,
1: there was just something regal about, uh, about those guys, you know, and... Uh, I don't. I can't explain it. I just. You, you just knew. I, I don't know when when well, they you, when they you spoke. F- you knew you were getting like. You just, felt.
0: You felt like the. You felt like they'd done their homework. Yes, you know, sometimes yeah. Sometimes when you hear people reporting on things, you think they were handed a press release about ten minutes before, scanned it once, and said, "Yeah, I don't want to talk." And they don't even know. You know, maybe the pronunciations are off. Right. Um, right. So it's it's frustrating. I mean, there are. I, I have to say that you know, it, for general general journalism it's it's kind of abysmal but when you get into uh specifics you know if you're reading about cars or if you're reading about boats or if you're reading about aircraft there are specific industry specific ones where you go in and there's so much information i mean we're we're kind of it's kind of a feast or famine at the same time i mean general you know the general mainstream media doesn't seem to care that much they mostly it's just trying to get eyeballs watching a show for two minutes and you know come back if somebody crashes but uh there's we do have a p- positive speaking I'm, I'm thinking of places like spaceflightnow.com and and space.com and gosh all the different um you know the different user groups that are on uh facebook right now you can join our, our friend emily has space hipsters and i've learned gosh it's like taking a graduate course sometimes when you go into space hipsters yeah. and read read some of uh of, of her stuff uh, which is, which is great for, you know, rivet counting uh, modelers. I don't know any of those people. But, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just it's fascinating that we have this just incredible feast of, of information. But yeah, but out, out in the regular world, if you don't know about the stuff, the people that are reporting on it don't know about the stuff like, like they did back here in the, in the 70s.
1: Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's just different. And, uh, you know, growing up, my parents uh, and grandparents were uh, Dan Rather guys. Like, that's who they, that's who I grew up with, you know, in, in our house. I just remember Dan Rather reporting on everything, you know. <laughs> if yeah. it happened, yeah. Rather was there, you know. And uh, and I'm sure if for you it was, you know, some of these other uh, newscasters. It's it just, uh, there's just something different about that. I, and I'm not really knocking the, the current ones. It's just I don't feel like that exists right now you know like. yeah
0: they, they don't they don't seem as well informed as those guys were in the past and and a lot of them were I mean like you know Cronkite he was he was World War two era he'd been you know he'd been a war correspondent he'd, he'd work with Edward R Murrow and he was like right on the right on the front lines reporting you know reporting from things you know bleeding edge technology getting stuff on overseas radio and things so he definitely had a you know, a vested interest in these things because he knew, he'd been a veteran of of all these different news stories. And I I don't get that feeling, you know, I, I don't I get the feeling from the mainstream that you're just mostly getting commentary instead of uh, reporting. and It's it's frustrating. And I I know I sound like an old, old guy talking about this. But
1: In my day. Yes, yeah, I you know, know we, these guys <laughs> knew what they were talking about. Um, well, and I thought it was interesting when they show there's that. So the Apollo 13 episode of From New York to the Moon, which focuses mainly on the media coverage. Yeah. You know, I thought it was interesting. They kind of touch on that where. You know, they've got Lane Smith, who's, you know, I think that's the name, Lane Smith. Yeah, uh, that's right. Who's, who's, you know, kind of the Cronkite type guy, who's close to the astronauts, who, like, knows him by the first name basis, spent a ton of time with him, you know, knows, you know, Deke Slayton, all these guys kind of inside and out. And then there's a new guy who just simply wants the new story, and that's it. He doesn't he doesn't really care about making the ties or the bond, and, and that, that does uh, certainly exist.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that yeah. his uh, his character Emmett Seaborn is kind of a an amalgam of all those. You know, the Frank Reynolds and the and the Jules Bergmans and the they they had developed. Uh, yeah, they they had like they were like Herb Jefferson is here in this in this thing. They they had a a knowledge of all the backroom people. They knew people like Chris Craft and they knew uh, Gene Kranz, and they could you know buttonhole them in the hallway and say what's going on what do you you know. What are you telling me? And in response, people like Kranz and 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 Kraft, uh, they had a trust with them. So he said, "Well, we'll find out in a couple of minutes, and we'll let you know." So this this kind of a uh, this kind of a conversation here, uh, even though it's a little bit awkward, uh, that that did happen. They kind of gave them uh, knowledge in advance on the assumption that these guys wouldn't betray their trust and tell things that were you know weren't out of uh, turn. Um, one of the things that was back then especially i mean it's it's a difficult uh, part but the uh, you know the family problems that astronauts had a lot of the reporters were well aware of you know the infidelities on the road and and uh, and different marital issues but they didn't report on it because well for one thing their their audience probably wouldn't enjoy hearing about that and for another thing, they they kind of had a, a vested interest in keeping the space program going. It was worth reporting about. So bringing up all the uh, foibles of the people involved uh, wouldn't be in the best interest of either the journalist or the uh, or the astronauts that that they were going to be talking about. Um, that changed, you know. That changed over time. And it, like as you were saying with that with that Apollo thirteen um, uh, episode of From the Earth to the Moon, they showed how these you know how the next generation that didn't have that trust would wheedle their way in on you know talking to talking to lovell's kids or you know breaking the breaking the established rules that they have the unwritten rules yeah Uh, you know so um i just uh i don't know It, it it is it's funny how 1970 seems to be that that turning point where nasa wasn't nasa was always held in high esteem well, maybe it was before that i think maybe apollo one might have been where that where that changed because we we suddenly lost astronauts and everything that we'd heard about um with the astronauts they weren't you know this wasn't a perfect uh, a perfectly uh, well-oiled machine running all the time so the cracks may have started to appear in 67 but by 1970 it was getting a little bit more open and uh in a way that was liberating for the astronauts themselves they didn't have to be um, perfect saints uh we've talked about this before that um things like uh john young uh john young's divorce uh he stayed in the he stayed in the program he right after he got a divorce uh that opened it up for a lot of other families to to split up because they found out hey i can still keep my job and it's not you know we're not ruining the country by uh by getting divorced so uh just a, a tumultuous time interesting interesting to uh, to ponder all this but uh you know here we <laughs> this, this is getting the uh the, the minute that we're we're at they're not uh, getting any close any closer to home because of all those things going on with the press um i uh i really do enjoy just watching the very seventiesness of this especially Xander berkeley's performance here he's got gosh those gigantic mutton chop sideburns <laughs> and uh the the net the only thing that bothers me, I don't think the narrow tie was a thing in 1970. I think by 1970, we were going to extremely wide ties. I'm going to have to look up fashion magazines from the 1970s, but I think his tie is a little bit too narrow. Although, you know, it's a military, uh, semi-quasi-military establishment. So the, the narrow tie may still be in play here, but I just don't remember a narrow tie wearing a tie bar and a, and a tie pin with a narrow tie that doesn't look 1970 to me, but I could be wrong.
1: That's interesting. It uh, maybe it's be, maybe they, I I know they always kind of joke that some of the some of those guys uh, weren't maybe as as hip <laughs> to the yeah. trending, uh, you know. So maybe they were slow to change over or something like that. You know. I, yeah. I love it. My one of my favorite clips in a documentary is in the Heroes of Mission Control documentary. And they talk about, you know, like the, the men of mission control were, you know, were were smart engineers with, with pocket uh, protectors. And <laughs> they have about four or five of them in a row that are like, yeah, we never had pocket protectors. And then they actually found like era pictures of each one of them sitting there with pocket protectors. <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> wow. Yeah,
0: it's uh... – I mean, fashion wasn't fashion wasn't on their forefront, and most you know most of them are ex-military, so it was like if I wear a white shirt and a black tie, that's as good that's as good a, a uniform as any. Might as well wear. It. And I think they probably all looked around. It's like what everybody what is everybody else wearing? I'll I'll go with that. Chris, I think you spoke earlier about how the different formality and informality of going to uh, ATC for the first time that Oh we were... uh, yeah,
1: yeah the um, the first time I worked in a tower, you know I was boy, I've got to make an impression, you know, and I, uh, wore dress pants and a dress shirt and, uh, showed up for my first shift in the tower. And, uh, my, my tower chief sitting there, who, by the way, if you've seen the movie airplane, uh, I love him to death, but he was basically like, uh, um, he boy, was kind waiting, of like sir. the, uh, uh, oh, what is it? The, he, he was kind of like the, the, yeah, Lloyd Bridges' character in yeah. the movie. Uh, not sniffing glue and stuff like that, but <laughs> yeah. just kind of kind of cut from that old school, you know, he was an yeah. old school O'Hara controller, and, you know, and he's just like, uh, he's like, you going to a wedding after this? You know and I was just like, no, and he's in jeans and a t-shirt, you know, and he's like, yeah, we do jeans and t-shirts here. <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, it was a great gig after that. Like, like man, jeans and t-shirts all day, it, it's not bad, but... Uh, I'll never forget that. That was the first word said to me in the tower as I walked up for my first day was, wow. are you going to a wedding after this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's even, it, it's interesting to see the corporate culture of, of NASA versus other places. I, I was always kind of shocked when you went from, you know, you look at, even the the Man Space Center right now, when you, when you look at the, uh, uh, space station controls people there pretty much wear button down shirts they might not wear a tie but they'll, they'll generally business casual i think is is the best way to describe it but then they'll cut away to when uh, you know when the mars landers are or we're landing at, at the jet propulsion Lab- laboratory is running it in pasadena and it's the california culture they're all wearing black t-shirts with go nasa or go jpl on their you know, on their shirts and there's uh <laughs> fellas with mohawks and things and and Gosh, everybody at a, at SpaceX—they're either wearing—it it looks like like you just walked into Applebee's. They've ever got—they've ever got, ever got a, a, a you know a three-button uh, polo shirt, or they're wearing a, a black T-shirt that says SpaceX on it. It's just very, yeah, <laughs> just yeah. very different attitudes. But maybe that's just the California culture creeping in.
1: Yeah, that could be, and uh, yeah, and well, I, I think there's there's I think that's okay. I think I also think kind of a you know a. a khakis and a polo are kind of the uniform of today anymore (laughs) you know so yeah um,
0: it's it's a it's a different world i went to a uh, i went to a catholic private high school and we always had every every day except i think uh september and june we were allowed to wear like just a button-down shirt um but from like october october through may you had to wear a shirt a tie and a jacket and it's it was like you know that it wasn't you could wear whatever shirt tie and jacket you yeah. had to wear but it was um I, my wife would make fun of me because i i used to always if anywhere we went if it was 90 degrees out i'd have a tie and I have my you know a shirt buttoned up and a tie if i were go- if we were going somewhere and she's like you're the only person i know that never loosens their tie and i was like <laughs> it's just sorry it's just habit i'd be yelled at by a nun if i <laughs> loosened yeah. a tie are you crazy so um <laughs>
1: old habits die hard <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but uh i i don't remember i mean i, th- I think i wear i've worn <laughs> the only time i wear a tie nowadays is that a, at a funeral or a wedding i think that's the oh, one time
1: yeah if you see me in a tie someone's dead <laughs> i'm just <laughs> i'm just letting you all know right now you know or someone's getting married one of the two <laughs> that's it
0: <laughs> we i had a uh, there was a generational difference between uh my dad and and myself um my dad was a my dad was a boilermaker he built uh he was a welder in new york city and he uh He did things like he worked on the uh uh, the verrazano bridge that connects uh, brooklyn to staten island and he always wore uh wore clothes and he had big leather gloves and things when he was working wear a welder's hat and and stuff and uh, he'd go he'd go everywhere you know uh all around manhattan doing different welding jobs and uh my uh my son grew up with me working in uh you know, I, I usually worked in an office somewhere, so I'd have on a jacket and tie and I'd be working in an office. And um, we were going to, my, my dad had come come for a visit. We were living in Virginia, my dad had come for a visit. And uh, my my son was about four years old and uh, my dad was going to uh, to church with us on a Sunday. And so my dad had on a jacket and tie. And uh, my son said to my dad, why, Grandpa, why are you wearing uh, work clothes? And my dad looks, He says these aren't work clothes. and It's like yes they are. Daddy wears them all the time when he goes to work. And so it was like oh yeah that your daddy's work clothes. Yeah these are your daddy's work clothes. Okay, so it's just uh, it never struck me as like oh yeah those, that's what he thinks of as work clothes.
1: That's hysterical. <laughs> uh,
0: wow. Well, um, we're back on back on the uh, Apollo thirteen as they're uh, they're getting ready. They're checking. Um, you know the the biggest concern after they were letting loose the uh, lunar module was did they have enough power. To uh, fire those pyros to get the parachutes going, and uh, this is true that the uh, the batteries, the battery banks that they had there were kind of iffy, so they uh, uh, they tied both of them together in series so that they would have enough power to make sure that after reentry, it it could still you know the the batteries that were running the entire uh, thing also had to power the uh, uh, the pyros, so they cut the they cut as much power as they could out of the instrument panel tied all the batteries that they had together so that when the, when they find the the last thing that they needed it for after running the reaction control system as they were re-entering the, the atmosphere, uh, the last thing that it would have to do would be to fire those uh, uh, those parachutes. And you know, technically that was the second to last thing that uh, that Apollo 13 would do. The last thing they really needed electricity for was to inflate the, uh, if they landed upside down or what they called uh, stable two, where or, or uh, the pointy end of the, The pointy end of the command module was underwater uh they'd need to inflate these uh uh, these bags that would turn them back to a stable one position which means that the, the the fat side of the of the command module was pointed at the water and the pointy end was pointing toward the sky so, uh, but they, they had enough power as it turned out later on. We'll see that uh, they they didn't need to, they did inflate the bags just to make sure, you know, just as a precaution, but they didn't land in stable two. They landed in stable one and they, they were able to, uh, you know, they really didn't need the bags. So it's uh, it's still a concern here. Um, I can't figure, you know, it's, it's funny when, when I watch this part of the movie, I know that they're saying everything out loud but I can't figure out if the audience, if you don't know about Apollo systems, if the audience knows what they're talking about or why <laughs> or do they need to. It's like, oh, these guys are talking some tech talk. and You know, it's like it, it's it's like watching Voyager and they're talking about inverse Polaron fields. And it's like, oh, that sounds dangerous. You know, I, I, I just I I'm never sure if just the general audience picks up on what the, what the heck they're talking about. Um but it's it's beautiful stuff i enjoy i enjoy this particular this particular minute here um the uh the last thing that we get to is the uh uh, we're looking at uh weather and uh i'm sorry not weather we're looking at uh that they're coming in a little bit more shallow than they were expecting and it's it's mostly just they 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 knew they were going to be coming in very shallow anyway but it, it there's they're still in within the reentry corridor it's just on the outer edge of the reentry corridor um i don't uh it's like i think that it's a little bit more uh it, it's a little bit more safe than what they're letting on here uh they would have liked to have had it better but uh it's it's not as not as critical as uh, as they're letting on the movie part here. So, um, gosh, we've been in this. We've, we've been through the, the, these past five minutes. I think have been so slow in what's been going on. <laughs> it's difficult to talk about a lot of these uh, these things. Uh, but you know, it's it's always it's still even after I've watched this. I don't know if we must have watched this movie a hundred, a hundred times. But it's still you still wonder if they're going to make it. That's <laughs> It's like watching the Titanic sinking. You're, you know, if you watch the movie Titanic, you're like, "Well, maybe they'll make it this time." Or, um, it's,
1: it's very true. And it, if you watch it backwards, they actually come up out of the water.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, Jack and uh, Jack and Rose part the closest of friends. It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a happy ending backwards. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh what a what a movie. But uh, anyway, this is a this is a good week. Uh, we do have a show note coming up. Uh, we have. Um, can't talk about it right now, but we do have some really amazing guests coming up. And if you're listening to this in the far distant future, long past uh, the plague year of 2020, this won't sound like a jump at all. So just listen to the next episode. But uh, our next uh, tomorrow's episode that, w- that we've scheduled for Friday, we're actually going to move that Friday episode to the following Friday. So if you're expecting to listen to this on July 10th, get a, get come back the following Friday, J- July 10th, uh, 2020 come back the following Friday. And uh we are I, I can could say this is one of the best guests we've ever had. Would you agree, Chris? I uh,
1: I I agree. It's, yeah. it's a pretty epic guest.
0: Yeah, it's going to be yeah, this is a guest that you will you will have be be thankful for waiting for. And I we appreciate all the people that are have been hanging on with us with all of our stop and go uh actions <laughs> over the past 2 years <laughs> of getting this show going, but we're we're in the home stretch and we really want to bring you the very, very best guest, and I, I can't tell you how how many of these guests that we're still, it's just, I can't talk about it right now because a lot of this it's still up in the air for us. We're not sure when everybody's going to land, but in the in this next week, we're trying to get a bunch of big guests all lined up for you, so that you will just be pretty much saying "Wow" every time your podcast uh, <laughs> starts and you hear those, you, you hear that uh, piano music uh, kicking in. So. Uh, thanks for being patient with us. So we will return uh, not the 10th of July, 2020, but we'll be back July 17th, 2020 with, uh, fingers crossed, a really, really, truly amazing guest. So uh, so thanks for hanging in there with us. If you would like to talk to us or complain or, you know, argue about how, gee, they never come in with stuff on time. We're always available on social media. Please visit us on uh, Facebook at the Apollo 13 Minutes Mission Control on Twitter at Apollo 13 minute uh, or you know if you haven't listened to any of our pre this would be a good time now that we're kind of on this micro hiatus uh, this would be a great time to listen to all uh, previous 123 episodes so go back and <laughs> pick some of your favorite episodes back then uh, and listen to them uh, on Apollo 13 minute com Apollo 1 13 minute com there are a lot of great shows there and we're I, I can promise you we're going to have some really amazing shows coming up for our finale. Thank you for hanging in there with us. It uh, looks like, as we were saying, it's going to come up with a loss of uh, signal in about 30 seconds. So we will see you here next Friday, July 17th, 2020, on the Apollo 13 Minute.